Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome to the Ringers, Philly special, Shiel Kapadia, here, joined by Sean Syed from Sumer Sports for the midweek show. Sean, do you notice anything different about me today? We're always on video. I don't know if people know. We're actually on video. We can see each other. Do you notice anything different about me today? Shiel, today you're sitting down. Is that what the answer you were looking for? Yeah, yeah, that's what the that's the answer. Good, very, very observant. I think for the first time in my ringer history, I'm sitting down for a podcast because I listen. I don't want to open up every podcast now with a shield health update, but uh, listen, she's struggling here. You get the the just check the temperature before we came on. The temperature's rising, not good. Took some meds, got the Gatorade by my side, but I said, you know what? We can't wait till Thursday to talk about all this stuff. This is like a, you know, the organization is on fire type week for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I had already watched the film. You and I had been chatting. I said, we're not going to delay this another day. We'll get through it. So uh, am I a hero? The answer is yes. Say no more. But I'll see if I like the chair. Usually I, I like standing. I like the energy of standing. I feel better. The voice sounds better when you're standing. But today I'm sitting down. So there you go. That's how we start. I told you it was going to be a shorter show today, Sean. And now you're like, you just did five minutes on you sitting in a chair. Well, sure. It's been a long year since last week for the Eagles. And I guess it's been a long year since last week. For you, you know, I'm just always, always proud of you for keep continuing to push out those pods. And, and you know, I, I know you represent team content, so happy to, <laughs> happy to keep it going. 
team content's doing well. All right, here's what we're doing today. Okay, so I was messaging with Sean, and it was like, well, you know, we don't need to just, just go offense and then defense. We already did last week on how to fix the Eagles, and then the Eagles essentially fired their defensive coordinator, so I don't know if there's anything more to do there. So I got some burning questions, okay? So some of these have to do with exactly what we saw in that game Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks. Because there's, I mean, Sean, when it's a national game, Anybody with a with the home cameras putting out their film breakdown, uh, you got to go to Syed Scheme, somebody who's been doing it. He does it whether it's Sunday at one, Monday night, and he knows what he's talking about. So you can't believe just anyone. So we want to uh, cut through some of those. What's real? What's not? Some of the narratives being shaped, the Matt Patricia defense, the Jalen Hurts play, the play calling. We want to get into all of that, uh, but with the focus, as always, on what did we see on film. All right. So here's what we're doing. We're starting with the worst thing. So you can, you know, if you want to fast forward, if you don't want to be sad, we're starting with the 92-yard Drew Lock drive that will live in infamy in Philadelphia for years to come. And, you know, Seahawks fans will remember uh, happily for years to come if you saw Pete Carroll's post-game uh, locker room speech there. So um, three big plays on that drive, Sean. An 18-yarder to DK Metcalf, a 34-yarder to uh, DK Metcalf, and then, of course, the 29-yard touchdown to Jackson Smith uh, in Jigba. When you sat back, when you looked at that, the play calls Matt Patricia made during that drive, during those three big plays, how the Eagles played, uh, what did you think? Were you saying, you know what, players got to perform better there. You can't let Drew Locke do that to you. Do you think, I'm not sure about these calls from Matt Patricia. Like, what were some of your big takeaways as you looked at how the Eagles tried to attack that situation where, uh, you know, the Seahawks go 92 yards and whatever it was, a minute and 24 seconds to win the game? When I was watching it on Monday night, I was immediately thinking, okay, they just ran man coverage 10 times in a row. What is going on? But then when you look at it, you get that high view. It was cover one four times out of 10. There were two snaps of two man and then four other snaps of zone coverage to equal 10. And I just think playing cover one, it, it's like a lifestyle choice that I just think the Eagles kind of can't afford right now. When I think of the Cowboys, they're a team that can really do that well when you are winning up front consistently and able to squeeze those windows. So on a chalkboard, yes, man coverage, best coverage ever. We, I think we've talked about it where everyone is responsible directly for someone. That's not a problem. I do think, you know, James Bradbury, it seemed like he owned up to it in post game that he was pretty specifically targeted I think the Seahawks were smart to do that and sometimes it felt like like the way he's playing that man coverage technique he is expecting you know someone over the top because he does have someone over the top just when the Seahawks are able to make that throw into tight windows where the middle of the field safety is not able to get over there it you know it just it just really looks kind of worse and worse and then it is made worse by thinking that the pass rush is not able to kind of seal the deal there so overall just I just don't know what you, I guess I, there was one snap of cover four that you like. I do think that those two man snaps looked a little bit better. Of course, Bradbury was beaten in the trail on that one time. So I'm probably like to see more two man. Let's, let's go back to the kind of conservative cover four, I guess is also one kind of answer to maybe ease the load on those cornerbacks a bit. Yeah, cover one, of course, talking about man coverage with one high safety there. They did some of that. They did one robber, which is man coverage with one high safety. And then you have kind of a middle hole defender who's, uh, you know, can can he can just pick off routes in the middle of the field there. <laughs> uh, those big plays, I mean, the 34-yard completion to DK Metcalf, you're playing cover one robber 
on that play. It's third and 10. I mean, you're putting now, it's not like, like Sidney Brown came over and was trying, actually, I thought covered, you know, pretty decent amount of ground there, uh, to make it close where it was, is there's no doubt it's a good throw, uh, fantastic catch by DK Metcalf, but I still don't love the call like third and 10. Like the only way they're going to score a touchdown there is if you give up chunks. I mean, you can play. I know everyone sometimes say, oh, don't play prevent. And the, there's, there is a middle ground. Like you mentioned, you can play quarters in that spot where you're saying, all right, we're going to give help over the top on both sides of the field. And we're going to make you methodically move the ball down the field. If we don't give up a play of like more than 20 yards, then, and they're very efficient, then and only then it might come down to getting a red zone stop. But you didn't really make them do that. And it's just like, no, you know, what, isn't there a coaching thing? KYP? Isn't that, know your personnel? Or did I make that up? I I feel like someone told me that. Is that that common or not? Let's call it common. Did it make the coach <laughs> list list right. of the week? Maybe not, but I think I think we can do it. I do think like that is such an important thing, though, right? Because you can draw up whatever coverage you want. It has to be so specific to who your players are. And as you said, you know, one robber on third and ten. You know, I don't have maybe I have less of a problem with it. You have that down safety usually robbing in like at the sticks. So a team that just is trying to get eleven yards on third and ten, you can deal with that a little bit. But do you know that your safety is going to be able to get all the way across? You know, maybe your first time uh, calling the defense with these players in a live game, you know, maybe you're you're still figuring things out or it's it's heat of the moment and things like that. So there is there is such a big thing there where whatever your like core philosophy is and hey, this is what we want to do when the kind of chips are down that needs to unfortunately adjust based on where your players are, where the offense is attacking you. And the offense knows your weakness, especially when there's more than just kind of one weakness on the defense. Yeah, I mean, I've given out the Eagles numbers and man coverage this year. They're like a bottom five unit, and uh, you're down. Your bet, you're down. Literally, your best man coverage corner in Darius Slay in this game. And just because they didn't attack you with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett all game long and Jackson Smith and Jigba all game long, like they should have doesn't mean they're not going to be able to do it in that spot. So I don't like that, the, you know, putting Bradbury on uh, DK Metcalf there one-on-one in that spot for the 34-yarder. Uh, and then, you know, you have the the uh, the other one, the 29-yard touchdown. Again, it's Jackson Smith and Jigba against James Bradbury. It's the same coverage, cover one, robber. And there's 33 seconds left, Sean, at that point. They got to go 29 yards in 33 seconds. And you let them go one-on-one on the outside without any safety help over there. Uh, Smith and Chigba versus James Bradbury. So uh, I'm with you. Like, you just got to realize, and this is what Matt, Matt Patricia has been a cover one man coverage. This is like all, this is his background. Look at all those Lions teams. That's literally all they did. They were high percentage man coverage and they sucked at it. I mean, look at their, you can look at their DVOA numbers. They were bottom 10 defense all three seasons. They didn't adjust. They had no plan B. Now, what's interesting is this wasn't like a huge man coverage game from the Eagles overall. If you if you zoom out from that last drive and look at it overall, they played man coverage at about their league average rate. But I continue to believe they need to be just like more selective with when they're going to do that because I don't think they have the horses uh, against a lot of these teams. Now, can you do it against the Giants and the Cardinals? Yeah, you're probably going to be fine there, but then you get to the playoffs and you face some of these better teams and you're probably going to get cooked. So, um that's kind of what the coverage looked like uh, on those big plays on the final drive. And then you mentioned it with the pass rush. Now on film, I was like, 
all right, the the pass rush looked a little on that last drive. I was like, the pass rush looked a little bit better. It wasn't like they weren't getting any pressure. They weren't impacting Drew Locke at all, but they didn't hit him uh, at all on that last drive. And I, I thought one thing that was interesting, Sean, there was the personnel usage. So they didn't blitz at all, which I think is fine. Listen, I, I want to be intellectually honest here. If they call a blitz there and they get toasted for 20 plus yards, I'm on here crushing them for blitzing in that spot. So I'm not saying that's the wrong decision to rush for. It is kind of notable that 10 times in a row though, if you're saying, well, do you mix something up at one of those times, maybe a sim pressure, maybe like they didn't do any of that. They were rushing with their four down linemen every single time. And it was Hassan Reddick, uh, Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter, and Josh Sweat. I think until the final two snaps. And then on the final two snaps, you know who comes in? Moro Ojimo comes into the game with Milton Williams in a big spot, Moro Ojimo. Is this the big change? We Was the whole Matt Patricia change made because Desai was refusing to get Ojimo on the field in these high leverage situations? I mean, I had to rewind. Wait, who is this on the field in this spot? There, there was a lot in this game that led me to uh, cackling, Sean, but that was one of them. And I think that's a puzzling decision. I mean, Brandon Graham earlier in the game had a great rush from the interior. He has done that throughout his career. He is a better pass rusher right now than Moro Ojimo. He doesn't get on the field. Jordan Davis does not, is he, your, your first round pick from two years ago was not on the field for any of the 10 snaps uh, with the game on the line there. If you're wondering what they think about his pass rush ability right now, Jordan Davis did not have a third down pass rush snap in this game. No, I'm not saying he rotated it. No, no, no. He, every third down, he was off the field in this game. He did not have a third down uh, pass rush snap. So, I mean, listen, Davis has been good as a run defender. He's not a bust. He's not a zero. I think he's shown some flashes as a pass rusher this year. It's still early, but I always say, uh, look at what the coaches tell you with their actions. Uh, not what they tell you with their words. And to me, that was pretty telling. So uh, anything else there stand out to you from kind of a pass rush perspective, whether they could have mixed it up more, personnel on the field, any of those things? Well, I think that those two guys ended up in there because you're on like snap nine, 10 in a row. And yeah, I would imagine a pass rusher is getting yeah. a little bit tired to kind of have to put your hand in the ground and keep on making those plays. And part of me feels like you could put like literally any player there on the defensive line and sometimes it wouldn't even matter just kind of based on the coverage. And, you know, she'll, I think Cliff might cut me off if I say the word encouraging today, but they were close to ending the game with a, with a few tips, a few near, near interceptions on that drive. And, and I can feel you rolling your eyes a little bit uh, at me on that. But then, like, we talk about, okay. <laughs> Those are bad Drew Locke throw. That was a br- bad Drew Locke throw. I'm not going to give him any credit for Drew Locke throwing at 100 miles per hour on, like, a three-yard route. I'm not giving him any credit for that. Well, hey, you know, you you know the quarterback you're going up against. So you can play it a little bit different. But, I mean, we we got one snap or two snaps of two-man. One of those two-man snaps, Bradbury gets beat. So, it, she'll, I don't know. It, it feels like whatever kind of happens, the, the defense is just able to get beat. And it obviously stinks when, you know, it was like like an awesome catch at the end that was really, really fingertips uh, of a of like an inch of a difference changes. Like, I don't know, maybe we would have we been sour on this podcast either way, no matter of the result based on how the game was played. It was an exciting ending. There's there's no doubt about that. When Drew Locke cooks you for 92 yards with the game on the line, that is an exciting ending. All right, so hopefully that either 
reinforces what you've been hearing this week, dispels what you've been hearing. They played, like, like Sean said, they played six, six snaps of man coverage, four snaps of zone coverage. When they played man, they got cooked pretty bad. I think it's absolutely fair to question the calls, those man coverage calls in those spots. And I think they got to look in the mirror and say, what personnel do we have? What schemes can we play to best help the players on the field? Because I, I don't think that they did that there. And also, having said that, yes, I will give credit to DK Metcalf. That's a sick catch in between two defenders. Uh, and then, um, you know, the touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba there. So there you go. That's the um, that's the final drive there. All right, let's take a break here because you know what? Nick Sirianni's press conference is going on as we're talking here. So we just want to make sure we didn't miss anything that we need to add to the conversation. So let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get to some more burning questions. As the weather gets cold, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 money line bet wins. You know what? I'm lo- I can't quit the Green Bay Packers. I'm sorry. Minus four and a half at Carolina. I still like that offense. Their defense isn't going to get exposed by the Panthers, is it? I like the Packers minus four and a half at Carolina. You can do that. You can do something else. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet live. Same game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, we are back on the ringers. Philly special. All right. The one thing Sirianni said about the defense there, Sean, uh, and this is from Brooks uh, Kubena from The Athletic. Uh, I guess someone, t- Nick Sirianni said a quality control coach told him that they had given up the most explosive plays in the NFL when playing cover four. 
So I, I don't know the context there. I don't know if it was like, hey, why didn't you play more cover four on that final drive? That to me is like, well, yeah, what quarterbacks were you playing? Like, what was, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, what person, there's a lot of context there. It's not just, well, we gave up, we give up. Like, you just played Dak and Brock Purdy and Tua and uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Like, you probably lead the league in giving up the most expo in a lot of, so I don't know. All right. But uh, I, I don't think that's a, that's a great reasoning, but someone told, a quality control coach uh, told him that. So there you go. All right. Next question here. Burning question. Sean, what happened to the offense in the fourth quarter? Another topic Sirianni just talked a little bit um, about. And then we're going to get into a more general discussion of the offense because, quite frankly, I thought this offensive film was laughable in, in, in many ways. I mean, I, could, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in some respects. It, everything you've touched on throughout the season and we've talked about I thought this was like to an extreme of of a lot of those themes. So we're going to get into some of those. But let's get to the interceptions first. First interception, fourth quarter, 8-15 left. First and 10 from Seattle territory. Did you notice, Sean, in this in this uh, doc that we share, I, I made so many errors. This has to be the signal. I wrote down from the Seattle 15, and then in my head I'm going, no, no, Shield, that wasn't the Seattle 15. I wrote down the Smith and Jigba touchdown was like 20 yards, and then in my head I'm like, no, it was 29 yards. So uh, I'm going to get a lot of stuff wrong here, and I can't help be, be held responsible for anything I say during this podcast. I just want that on the record. Shield, I don't know if it was like, because I could feel some sort of like seething in the typing you know i'm not sure if it was just like you know you got the angry fingers that that leads to a few mistakes but we, we all know you're you're a little sick you know you didn't you didn't put any reports that i guess you did put okay. out the reports this week out that you're sick so we'll we'll trudge on through shield yeah there there you go all right so you're up 17 13 the goal there as i said in the post game pod you want to bleed clock and score a touchdown. That's the ideal scenario. It doesn't mean that's ab- absolutely what you're going to do, but that's what you want to do. You don't want to score quickly. You don't want to sell for, for a field goal. That's the goal. Instead, they dial up this play. Uh, it looks like a shot play. Deep to Quez Watkins. Julian Love gets back there. Interception. Absolutely flips the game. Watching that play on film, Sean, it looked like AJ Brown did not get the call. Uh, I think you you know you you can talk more about it. It might not have mattered at all whether he did, but he kind of just stands there and doesn't do anything. Uh, I think Devonte Smith was running a route, and then Quez Watkins was running the deep route. When you look at that interception, where are we placing the responsibility, the blame? Is that a bad decision by Jalen Hurts? Is that a bad job by Quez Watkins not fighting for the ball? Is that a bad job by the play calling of Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson dialing that up in that spot? Is there something else? Is it just a great play by the Seahawks? I mean, how are you kind of looking at that play as a whole when you rewind it and watch it over on film? Yeah, Shell, I think my answer to the seven questions there is yes, uh, in the aggregate. But just looking at it, like you see A.J. Brown there. I think he, even if he was running around, my assumption is he's probably going to occupy that cornerback. You know, it could be a shot play to Quez. My, I, I don't know. My feeling is maybe they're just trying to open up that underneath space for Devontae Smith kind of coming across. My, like, larger issue with this is, like, they don't, like, the Eagles don't threaten the middle of the field. They don't threaten in play action. So, a defense doesn't really have incentive to respect these sorts of shot plays. And 
I mean, from a player to player basis, yeah, if, if that was a shot play, you're going to want to obviously dial that up for AJ. And I think anyone in the Eagles building will tell you, you know, who has a field stretcher, there's a lot of value there. And there is, but it, it feels like, you know, at that point in the game, like that's that's maybe not what you want to do. I would give the benefit of the doubt a little bit in that I'm not, I like that probably was an alert uh, route as opposed to, hey, this is really what we're expecting. And it may have felt that the defense rotated just a, a touch differently from that weak side safety to cause you know, you want to take that shot. So like from a decision level, I don't hate it. I think I've said a lot of times into this microphone this year, hey, this shot that Jalen Hurts took, I don't hate the decision there. And I think that I will say that for probably a few other plays that we talk about today. So then from there, it feels like there needs to be a little bit of a fine tuning. Maybe it's just like, hey, this isn't just a yes, no. This like, it has a higher burden that the, the route has to win on for you to be able to take this. Because I think AJ Brown tweeted it out, right? Like when the play works, like everyone's happy. Yes, I, I agree. Everyone is happy when the play works. But when the play doesn't work, you know, eight, nine times, eight, nine or 10 times in a row, then it starts to feel like, all right, the, the ball needs to be, it needs to, play needs to come out a little bit easier. You need to be able to manufacture space a little bit. So it feels like everyone does deserve a little bit of blame in this one, kind of like all of them. But again, for me, it really starts at that design level where, whether it's the player, whether it's the kind of offense that you are and how you attack, they just aren't meeting up to the level that I think like warrants you know that kind of play overall. Remind me what Devontae Smith was running uh, on that play and just like in ge- general terms, when we look at a route concept like that, what kind of the quarterback's thought process is, who he's reading, when he, you know, you said alert, explain what kind of what an alert is, how he gets to the point where he says, all right, this is a time to uh, to take that shot to Watkins. So if I remember correctly, Devontae's on the left side, he's running kind of a deep in cut and then Quez is running kind of like a like a middle through route and an alert just means like okay this is not technically or it means different things for different teams but it's not like the first read but if a certain look presents itself it bumps up your list so for example you know if you're running an outside vertical it's maybe it's like quote alert if they're press coverage now this becomes my number one read so i think it may have been a circumstance where when that safety was a little bit flat-footed they think hey we can go ahead and take our speedy guy over the top there but you know, is, does that obviously the result ends up maybe less than than stellar there and just continuing the streak of defenders making awesome plays for interceptions against against Jalen Hurts throws. So oh, I'm sorry. And then on that concept in general, like if and you're I, thinking of, about like a like a post from one side and a dig from the other side, the kind of classic like we need to get a safety to hammer down and then kind of bomb it over the top. If that safety drops back, let's take that in cut. I think Hurts makes that decision when it's kind of in the middle ground. Again, that safety starts a little flat footed, does a good job of kind of getting back there. But, you know, we talk about wanting to get the balls ball to your playmaker in that situation. So it just, it feels a little bit like results leading kind of reverse engineering the process there, but just less, less than stellar shield. And even with Devonte Smith, that's still a downfield throw. Like you, yeah, you're trying to occupy that safety, right? So that to open it up, uh, for Quez Watkins. So, uh, I'm with it. Like, yeah, you look at it and you're like, all right, you know, if you just zoom out, like, I don't want to be counting on Quez Watkins on a deep shot on first down, uh, first and 10 with 815 left when I'm trying to bleed the clock. Like that call to me does not make any sense from Hertz's perspective. I mean, 
like you said, I, I mean, I look at that one and I don't go like, all right, well, you know, what is he doing? That's the, that's stupid. He had no chance. That's not where the ball should go. It wasn't that type of decision. Like it was, uh, all right, you know, maybe like you had a chance at it type thing. And I don't know if the, if the coaches are making that call and putting Quez Watkins on the field and coaching you to read this a certain way. I don't, is it the quarterback's job to say that guy stinks and I'm not throwing in the ball? I don't know. He does do that sometimes with the backup tight ends. So maybe it is his job to do that. But like in the heat of a game, when you're dealing, when you're dealing with a sickness and you're just trying to comprehend the call and make a play, I don't know. So, um, I, I, that's like a top down one for me. Like, why are you, do, do not put the quarterback in that situation there. Run the ball, call something short. Uh, you know, give me an, uh, give me an RPO, give me a QB draw, give me a slant to AJ. Like there are, 400 better things you can call in that spot than something that gives a 50-50 chance for the ball to go to your, what, your fifth best receiving option in Quez Watkins? If that, he, he could say he's down to eighth. I mean, these guys have not been on the same page for two years. And this is like a big, you're trying to break a two-game losing streak. And this is when you're dialing that up. So I'm going to crush the coaching and the scheme more than Jalen Hurts in that spot. And I'm not a Jalen Hurts apologist. Anybody who's, you know, listened to this when we think he's worthy of criticism, and we're going to get to a play here in a minute where he is worthy of criticism, uh, we'll call it out. But in that spot, to me, that's a bad job of coaching. All right, so that's interception number one. Interception number two, it's, kind of, it's a little bit of a similar story, honestly. So uh, fourth quarter, 13 seconds left. You need roughly 13 yards for a shot at a long field goal. Is that ideal? No. You obviously want, if you can get a little more, you get a little more. You still have a timeout in your pocket. That's the big thing to me. I mean, they're playing that last drive. Like they don't have a timeout in their pocket. Like, no, you don't have to throw to the sideline on all these plays. Um, you're down 2017. They call a double move to A.J. Brown down the right sideline. Interception. In my opinion, like, I don't know. That felt like, like that's where the ball was supposed to go on that play. Maybe I'm wrong. I want to hear uh, what you have to say. Nick Sirianni said during his press conference they were trying to draw a defensive pass interference there. Which, what? Now, I am, listen, I am a big proponent of throughout the game taking shots downfield because these refs love to all if you honestly if you spend like five minutes of practice period coaching your wide receivers on how to draw these dpis you're gonna get honestly two explosive plays a game by doing this like teams do not do this nearly enough where they just throw the ball downfield uh maybe it's a little underthrown have the wide receiver flail his his arms the officials cannot resist taking the flag out of their pocket so i've been saying that for years that that should be a part uh some you know uh our listener sunset Chaz calls it go to the capadia offense when nothing else is working just do that chuck it downfield get a big chunk play and then figure it out from there so in general i like doing that with 13 seconds left when you need 13 yards with your field goal kicker doesn't miss from the, these big spots. No, no, no. That is not uh, the time and the place for that. Uh, what did you think of, again, that last, is it? Is it Julian Love? Give him the game ball. Is it Jalen Hurts? What are you doing? Is it Sir, Sirianni and Brian Johnson? What is happening here? And I know you'll say yes to all of those, but what do you get, break down that second interception for us? Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, yes to, <laughs> to everything, unfortunately, on that one. And I think so they used double moves like throughout the game to try and attack downfield. It wasn't like they used it only one time. So to me, it was fairly clear that that's where they wanted the ball to go. If anything, then 
you know, maybe the double move gets whatever. If you get two eye safety, you know, another safety bailing out that way, you can get back to the middle of the field. And Devontae Smith runs an awesome route on the opposite side. Again, I don't think he's number one in the progression there. I think maybe he's a like a particular pre-snap alert, almost not a dead route. I don't like to think of routes as, as dead, but like I think that that ball is going exactly where the offense wants it to go. So, and like you, I think that Hurts deserves criticism in a lot of different situations. When he throws to his number one receiver, you can absolutely criticize, okay, the ball is not accurate. You know, if that is a, an outcome, I think that that is fair, fair to criticize. But it, the decision there, to me, is not really one that needs to, or it, it deserves criticize from a different lens. But if he's throwing to his number one, he's doing what's kind of on, like what you're reading in the textbook and what it is telling you to do, then you have to look to somewhere else where I agree, you know, if the the justification is, hey, we were trying to get a pass interference, well, I would argue I think there's a lot of other ways that you can get, you know, between eight and 10 yards, particularly in the middle of the field. You don't have to call that play with with 13 seconds left against the defense that I think the defense knows the ball is going to go to A.J. Brown in that situation. I, I certainly think that there's a part of you that says, well, the defense can know and they're not going to stop it. But in these last three games, I think they've been more confident. So against the defense that is hyper-prioritizing, we need to be able to stop the sidelines. Yeah, I think at that point, they still had three timeouts. You know, great job by Sirianni to make sure that you have three timeouts in that situation. Let's, like, do something to attack the middle of the field, Chill. That's really all I want, uh, I think, for the rest of the season is try and expose the middle of the field, especially in that situation. So in that situation, for me, you know, play call first. I think Hertz's decision is making the decision that they want him to make. Uh, And so at that point, then you turn to, well, a little bit, you know, on that higher level of coaching and kind of play calling in that decision. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I said one timeout. I think they did have all, uh, I think you're right. They had all three. I like, what? All three timeouts? I mean, like the middle of the field's going to be open. Uh, it's, this is, it's this vanilla Seahawks defense. You're literally, you know, they actually did work the middle of the field. And we'll get to that. You don't have to run the same play 400 times in the game to work the middle of the field. Don't worry. We'll get to that. There are other options to work the middle of the field and just pick up the, pick up those yards. Call timeout. Pick up the, like, you can get there. Get the field goal. Uh, I, I agree. Like, I would love to. I always am in favor of scoring the touchdown or the field goal to get to overtime. But, dude, there's 13 seconds left. That's not, that's scoring a touchdown is not a great hop. Like, the chances of that happening are very slim in that spot. So, I'm with, I think the key thing you said there is, like, the call comes into Jalen Hurts' headset with 13 seconds left. It's the play he's repped all week long and gone over with the coaches in the meeting room that if the look is this, here's where the ball goes. The look was that, and that's where the ball goes. I mean, I don't know. Like that, the, uh, He's doing what he's supposed, what is he supposed to do? It's like, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Call another play? I mean, maybe if you're like in year 10 or something, or maybe he should be doing that now. But like, that's not, that's not on the quarterback there. Like he's, I mean, I loved all the memes. Like they were very funny this week where it was like, you know, Jalen Hurts needs uh, 13 yards. And then it's like the, you know, the woman, I think it was at the Spurs game where she just like launched the football. Like it was some contest and she just had like a cannon and launched the football like 60 yards into the stands. That was a funny one. I saw that I think there's one uh, with Carlton from Fresh Prince. So I've enjoyed all those. At the same time, that's what he's being coached to do. He's making the decision he was being coached to do. 
We need to look at why is he being coached to do that, not why is he doing the thing they're telling him to do. I hope that makes sense. I don't know. That's how I see it. That's how Sean sees it. Um, so I don't know what else you uh, you want from the guy there in that spot. He's doing what they're telling him to do. I think that, again, that one is on coaching and scheme. All right. Another one here, Sean. Uh, I got some other plays we got to get off my chest here. Uh, all right. This one, uh, third and eight. In the third quarter, I think this is the one AJ Brown actually was tweeting about where uh, Devontae Smith is on a shallow cross and AJ Brown is on the left side. Uh, I can't remember if that was a double move or just a straight go route, one or the other. Um, and Hertz takes a shot deep to AJ Brown when Devontae Smith is running wide open. This clip is all over social media. And uh, watching this one on film, Sean, Brown, like, I don't know if, if he stacked the quarterback completely, but he gets some separation there where we've seen that level of separation. They've made a play downfield with A.J. Brown. Like, he was not blanketed on that play. He had a chance. You watch it on film, and this is why I like, even if I don't always know what's happening on film, this is why I love watching the film because if you look at the view from behind the Eagles offense on that play, Jordan Mailata gets pushed back and his right foot steps on Jalen Hurts' left foot and it's a horrible throw. Watching live, you say, what was that throw? He stinks. Fire everyone. This team's garbage. And then you watch it on film and you say, all right, it's hard to throw a ball 40 yards when a man Jordan Mailata's size is stepping literally on your left foot. So even that one, again, if he's being coached, you have a shot to A.J. Brown, downfield, one-on-one, no safety in the vicinity, uh, and he's got separation, give him a shot to make a big play. That, to me, is not an egregiously bad decision. Now, on that one, Devontae Smith is running like wide open. So what do you think there? Like, How is that probably taught? Um, again, we're, we don't know exactly. We're not in the meeting rooms. But just generally speaking, that, speaking, that type of concept on a third and eight, like would the quarterback, could he be taught either way? Could he be taught, hey, take the first, written first down if he's there? Uh, no, take the shot outside if it's there. What do you think on that one? Yeah, on that one, so it's their usual shallow concept. They'll run kind of like a shallow route from one person. So in that uh, situation, it's Devontae Smith. Then usually from the other side, you got Dallas Goddard kind of running in that 12 to 10 yards, getting in the middle of the field and turning around. And so that conflicts linebackers. And then usually attached to that on the outside, I think they'll usually run like a 10 and out, which that's generally a leverage-based play for them. They feel like if the cornerback's off, let's go ahead and take that. Then you can work back to that shallow underneath route. And then here they run a double move off of it. And like we said, you know, they ran double moves kind of consistently throughout the game. And to me, it's like, you know, the offense is hyper prioritizing if we are going to run a vertical route with A.J. Brown and it's like 50-50, throw the ball. So to me, it's more of an indication of maybe that dial needs to be changed just like a little bit, whether it's, hey, if he doesn't win soon, like really quick in the route, then you need to get to number two there. But I mean, I'm fine with that decision in isolation and shield i like this offense is radicalizing me like i keep saying like when i look at an isolation it's like good decision (laughs) like i'm fine with that take the ball throw it to your playmakers take that vertical shot but then when it stacks up over and over and over again i can understand why it would be frustrating frustrating when that 50 50 ball it feels like a 10 90 ball sometimes and that's just like can't be it so to me i think that he's making the right read there because they're dialing up a specific double move aj brown more or less, I think, is winning on that route. Let's go ahead and take our shot to our absolute stud of a receiver. So 
I mean, I've seen Jalen Hurts read, read plays this year. I, I don't have too much of a doubt that he can read plays. His comfort in the pocket, obviously, you know, it, it comes and it goes. He deserves criticism. I don't think the criticism that, that has to be made is, well, he's throwing the ball to a receiver that is open on his first read. I think he's doing the right thing there, unfortunately, as I feel exasperated. And it, it is unfortunate that Devontae Smith kind of is wide open right there. Well, part of it is, and no one's going to want to hear this, I mean, it's just a little bit of regression, probably. A.J. Brown was going for 150 every week, and he was coming down with all those balls downfield, and it was, it was, you know, uh, he could not be stopped. And now it's a different story. So, like, at this point, do you say, stop doing that? Or do you say, I can understand them saying, like, again, in, in certain spots, in some of those spots we talked about earlier, no, why are you doing that here? Uh, why are you, no, that, that's not smart. But like this was, um, you know, this was a spot here in the third quarter where you're still trying to score points. You're trying, it's third and eight. Like if you can get a shot downfield, that's a good, that's a great outcome there. So that one. Again, I don't have like a huge pre- guy got his foot was stepped on. Like, I don't even know if he I mean, if he tried to get the ball to Devontae Smith, I still don't know that it would have been an accurate throw um, with with his foot getting stepped on. So who knows there? All right. So that's that one. All right. Now, he, here's where we can criticize Jalen Hurts in between the two interceptions was a terrible possession. And I thought maybe Jalen Hurts his worst play of the game. Third down. Uh, I can't remember if the Seahawks had a five-man pressure or whether it was a sim pressure, but Bobby Wagner was involved in the pass rush. Multiple guys open in the concept. He's got a pocket. Absolutely, 100%. A lot of these, there's gray area. This one felt like a play where you need your quarterback to hang in there, give the pass concept a shot, deliver the football on time, and pick up a first down. He bails right away. If, If you remember, if you were watching on TV... It's the one he bails to the right side. Then he comes all the way around to the left side. Eventually, I can't remember if it was a throwaway or if he tried to get the ball, I think, to, I think it was Goddard or Devontae Smith um, right near the sideline there on scramble drill. But what'd you think of that one, Sean? I, I thought that was probably Hertz's worst rep um, and the one where we I, I felt like it was okay to say definitively that's on the quarterback. And that's a big spot. That's third down. Um, that's third down in the fourth quarter where you're trying to ice the game where he did not make a good decision. Yeah, this one, it, it kind of <laughs> feels like it, it almost goes up there with one of those Viking or that Vikings interception where he's kind of like locked on a receiver and throwing it in, in terms of, well, this is one of those plays all year where it's just like, Oh man. So the, yeah, they had a, a five down front and they are stunting. So if I was to take like the most Jalen Hurts defensive view of this, like the stunt is going to get home. Like I, I feel decent on that way that the way that, you know, Kelsey turns a little bit, I think he gets like hung up a little bit. And then like Wagner is going to get into space and maybe he feels like, okay, he's getting beat over right tackle. So he feels pressure, but he early in the, earlier in this game stood in against the pressure, threw the ball to Devontae Smith on one of like a little bit of a deeper curl route into pressure. So it's it's frustrating that like you saw it this game. Because when I think when I evaluate other quarterbacks, it's like, you know, like I've never seen a quarterback do something, so I'm not gonna expect it from him. But Hurts is someone that hasn't been able to do this. So this was one that I should just like just like no good things to say about it. Uh I think that yes, you you would hope that he sticks in there and, and throws that ball. Even if not, if he can hang in even just a touch extra, now we finally got that high low that I've been screaming about from the mountaintops to the backside. So I mean, I'd love to hear what Hurts has to say about that. I think the most reasonable answer is, you know, I like I, I felt the pressure coming and and I I went to move, but I think even then, like Devontae Smith is there on that inbreaker. 
I think sometimes like there's a little bit of a disconnect. It feels like where like in any team in shotgun, like how your footwork is tied into like the amount of steps, the amount of steps that the receiver's taking and that kind of gets thrown off with choice routes. That's just like something because I know everyone wants to hear about Kyle Shanahan. I think they do an excellent job of like their feet are so tied from the quarterback <laughs> to the receiver. So things are timed up so well where it, it feels like sometimes for the Eagles that uh, kind of is off just a touch. But yeah, I, I'm I'm comfortable. I think that Jalen Hurts probably says the same thing that this was <laughs> this was a, just a bad rep from him. All right, some other calls that I hated here, and they have to do with like bigger picture stuff. It's not just one-off stuff. I mean, third and six, Sean, in the red zone, they get the Jason Kelsey penalty for moving the football, which he said they've been telling him about that for years, which I thought was a funny uh, response there. So the third and one goes to third and six. They call an RPO. They hand the ball off to DeAndre Swift. Jason Kelsey gets held on the play. He wants the call. He's looking at the ref after he doesn't get the call. It goes for zero yards. All right. So you can say, well, he got held there. You know, it was not. You have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, four fifths of your one of the top five offensive line in the NFL, and a quarterback you're paying $50 million per year. And you do not trust. Him and you don't, you spent all week, you're sleeping in the office, you're back on the mattresses two nights of the week. And that's the, you can't come up with a pass play on third and six in the red zone against a defense that's been getting cooked week after week after week. One of the most predictable defenses in the entire NFL. That's the best you can come up with on third and six. There's not a single passing concept in all the land that gives you a better chance of picking up six freaking yards than that RPO. Sean, tell me I'm wrong. What in the world? And it got lost because it was early. What is going on? How? At third and it's a third and two. It's third and six. Call a pass play and let your quarterback try to complete a pass to one of your Pro Bowl All Pro three guys out there. Make a play. Why is that so hard? Sean, I think to all of that, I would respond with. Yes, just like the the uh, other portions of our show today, because you know we we he- we hear so much about the you know first and ten is actually first and nine. So even if you're saying hey, you don't have to get ten yards or whatever it was to get a touchdown, you can just get five. Um, I don't know, Sheila. I guess all I can all I can say here is that you know there were some good run concepts in the, in the first few quarters that I thought that we could we could feel good about. But yeah, the the red zone play clock I think overall where it seemed like early in the season a little bit was kind of bounces of the ball. And then in the middle of the season, it sort of got just straightened out. I think also just by variance, we're here. When you look at it in that situation, like, are you saying, hey, we just need four yards so we can go for it on fourth down? I think we've had too many or probably like three or four of those situations this year where it didn't work out to the point where, you know, let's 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 get a little fancy in the red zone, Shield. I think I'm sweating. Is it, Am I too worked up? Is this the fever breaking? Uh, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I hated that one. That's garbanzo beans. What are you doing? Terrible. All right. Uh, And then can we stop throwing screens where we need our thin wide receivers, Devontae Smith and Quez? I mean, the Seahawks quarterbacks were playing with their hair all game. I don't know, like, what 
I think number one on their board, like blow up every perimeter screen. They were killing their screens. No one could block them. And then you're calling a screen to Dallas Goddard and Devonta, Steve Smith and Quez Watkins are supposed to block these guys. I mean, what are you doing? Talk about not putting players in position to succeed. That's terrible. All right. Yeah. What'd I mean, one of the that things one, that I feel like the another thing that the Eagles have, and I mean, you see with the Jaguars too, like has kind of pushed me towards this. So they're all, I'm sure that they'll say a lot of those throws are, you know, they have two and a half people where a safety is deep. Let's throw the ball to the outside. Let's kind of quote, get out of uh, a bad run luck. I feel like sometimes she'll, I just want them to run the ball into the bad run luck. Like if DeAndre Swift is going to like be met in the hole at four yards, I think that that is a positive thing. So I don't know, just it, it, <laughs> It's been a, it's been a rough few games, Sheila. I think for all of us. I hope hopefully you know your temperature comes down. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's the film. Uh, probably a little bit of both. Where unfortunately sometimes it feel, you know I felt like this game film was like another team from uh, Pennsylvania as well, which I'm sure you you wouldn't have loved watching. Oh man, that is a, that's that's a, that's a, that might be the harshest criticism on this pod. Quite yeah. I, I mean, well, to your point, I agree with you. Like, I I generally very much am in favor of RPOs. I like RPOs, but we've talked about this before. Like, sometimes you can give the quarterback a breather and say you don't have to make a decision here for you know for thirty the next sixty seconds here between the play clock and the call and the next play clock. Like, you can just like catch your breath. By the way, you need to be pumped full of like fluids just to get through this game. And you flew on a separate plane. Maybe this would have been a good game to try to give your quarterback a little bit of breather. I mean, your offensive line should be dominating. You were able to run the ball in this game. Like, you were not running the ball poorly in this game. I mean, that fold technique with you know what I thought about you on this this will get really dark for eagles fans but so cover your ears if you don't want to hear it we've talked about that you love that full technique we've talked about it all season long for those that don't know what i'm talking about um you know it's when it's a zone play but jason kelsey will fold around the guard um and he's the only one pulling on the play and it kind of you know uh, I, I was watching jto sullivan's video and i thought the way he described it was very good it adds another gap basically that the defense has to account for uh there with him pulling and that was like i mean they were killing the seahawks on this like the seahawks could not stop this and i was just thinking man when jason kelsey decides if he decides this is it if this the end of the season goes poorly because jason kelsey's been having a lot of fun playing football the end of the season goes poorly and he says all right I think that that was it, and I'm going to go build my media empire uh, and become the mayor of Philadelphia. A lot of things this Eagles offense, a lot of the things they do are about to get a lot, a lot, a lot harder because, my goodness, every week on film, he's doing something where you're just like, other people are not going to be able to do this. And that goes beyond like leadership, intangibles, protection calls, communication, keeping people. No, no, I'm talking about just on the field on those 60 minutes or when those 11 possessions when the Eagles have the ball and what he is doing. No one else can do it. You cannot, you're not going to find somebody else to do that. You can try. They're not going to do it as well. Maybe you'll hit the lottery and do it. But that was one dark thought I had for Eagles fans watching this game. I'm right, right? Like you agree with that, right? Like the, the minute when he leaves and they try to replace him, a lot of things that you kind of lean on and are good at, you are, those, those go out the window. Like you have to come up with something else or you have to just live with, well, we can still do them, but they're not going to be nearly as good. Yeah, 100%. I think he handles him and Hertz. I know they handle it together up front. And I think Hertz can absolutely do it. But I think Kelsey makes everyone's life a lot easier there in terms of making those calls that fold technique. Like, yeah, people like across the NFL, they 
they cannot do that. Like centers are not built like that. Like Jason Kelsey is like a fullback that was mandated to snap the ball for some reason. Yeah, I, I do feel bad. You know, the whatever players on the roster are kind of maybe if they're on their last year or, you know, obviously those those kind of core four guys are getting towards the ends of their career. I think it's, it is, you know, a disappointing three games, Shield. But like I said, you know, they're, 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 I'll, I'll whisper it that the run offense did look uh, good at times during the game. The core four guys. What what is Brandon Graham thinking when games on the line? The guy literally sacked Tom, sat a sack fumble on Tom Brady in the biggest play in franchise history, and he's watching Moro Jamal out there taking his snaps. On the, I mean, what is he's too nice of a guy to ever like? Maybe when he retires, maybe if at his retirement press conference, I may go and I might just ask that one question. Week 15 of 2023, what were you thinking when they, when the coaching staff decided Moro Ojimo had a better chance to rush the passer than you with the, uh, with the game on the line against the Seahawks? That would be my one question for Brandon Graham. All right. <laughs> sure, you, I told you, you this, earlier, this film made me earlier, laugh. <laughs> earlier in the season, you, know, you always say, you know, hey, Jalen Hurts is this many wins in a row or this, this few losses, like Eagles fans, you remember this, and you might never repeat it again in your life. And, you know, Sheila, I, I yeah. like to remember the good times, you know, early in the season when we were we were talking about all the good, the good things and the good results. No, no, happening. see, people, you, uh, Sh- Sh- Sean, Sean, many listeners have reached out to me and they said one of the things they like about this show this year is how I get to school you on the uh, mentality and the dynamic of Eagles fans. And you're, you know, you're sometimes looking at me sideways like, oh, really? That's uh, how it is. This is not a time where anybody is in the mood to remember the good times or anything like that after a lot. That, that, that's not how it goes uh, here. So I appreciate you. Maybe Listen, maybe there's a handful of people who, who do feel that way. So I appreciate your perspective, but that's not going to be the majority right now. Right now it is fire everyone, burn it to the ground. And then you have a small minority who are saying, all right, well, they're still 10 and four. They still have a chance to get it together. Those That group is mostly being shouted down by the other group. So that's where we are right now. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about something. This isn't an ad read. This is a past concept called Hank, Sean. Okay, this is gonna, this is going to be uh, also very funny. Hank is a passing concept, and, and you, I'm going to give you what I think it is because I think it's like the you know it's kind of like the layman's version of it, and then you correct whatever I get wrong. So Hank is good, uh, a good zone beater. It is a three man concept. You have a curl route and a flat route. Curl flat is a very common uh, route concept uh, at all levels of football. The curl goes around 12 yards. The flat goes around six yards. You stretch out a zone defender, uh, and you read it out, and then you can hit one or the other. So you have those two, and then you have a sit route, which is generally the most inside uh, receiver, oftentimes the tight end, is going to go run around, I think, like six, six to eight yards, uh, and then just turn around over the ball. So wherever that ball snapped, kind of that in the straight line, if you draw a straight line six to eight yards out, that's where he's going to go. He's going to go, and he's going to turn around. So I believe the quarterback reads it, the sit route first uh, against zone coverage, and then moves to the curl flat. What did I get right? What did I get wrong there, Sean? Sheila, great job. I, you know, this this far into the podcast, this many coughs into the podcast, just a great performance. And I think like uh, the way that Doug Peterson did it, they would call them ins. Uh, so it would be against man coverage. You're really looking oh. to your best, um, your best kind of outside matchup from those really those curl routes. And then again, zone coverage, exactly as you said, kind of reading inside out, 
get that. I think they would call it like a, a short cross where it's like over the ball. We're kind of searching for space and then you kind of read it out. So and then there's the little variations of it where instead of the outside guy being the curl and the inside guy being the flat, you saw from the Eagles a bunch where the outside guy is now running a really, really short hook where they're the flat control player. And then the inside guy is running that curl route. And before you get on your, you, I'm sure you have tons of negative things to say about this play. I, I, I will lead into it by saying you know, I don't <laughs> fine play. Okay, all right. Well, she'll, yeah, we'll we'll see about about those those notes then. But it's a <laughs> it's a play that certainly it's like directed at. Okay, we're using this to beat like specifically cover three. We're conflicting that one defender, or if we end up with man coverage, we're just going to take our best matchup. It's not a play that has a lot of built in answers, unfortunately. So where you know it's a play we ran in high school. Like I think that. You see it across the league. Now, do you ever see it like 13 times in a game? I I think probably not. And if you're saying, well, this concept beats the defense that the Seahawks play a lot, I hear that. But then like, it's just such a small margin of error. Like if the defender is tightening that window in any way on that curl, it creates a a problem. So yeah, you did a great job describing it. And it's not my favorite pass concept. I think I'll I'll, I'll leave it there on that. Okay. Okay, so the reason you're you're asking Shia, why are we going? This shouldn't this be an off season pod where you bring Sean in, maybe bring Coach Flynn in. You do a different pass concept every week. You know, maybe there's a video element with some X's and O's uh, with some Coach Flynn drawings. Or I'm sure Sean, you can, you probably can you do like the hand like if it, can you do the hand drawings really well, or you use like the fancy what's it called Coach uh, Coach Paint or whatever. What's your uh, what's your go to? Are you old school? Are you able to do the old school version or no? Yeah, hey, Sheila, you know, whatever you need from me, I'll be able to do for you. But yeah, you know, I like I like doing that kind of old school. You, 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 you draw on the video. You know, I know people appreciate that visual element. Sometimes it's hard when you're listening to us blabber about four yards or six yards. You know, it, it's helpful to see it. So I, I like, you know, you get that Apple pencil out if you're lucky enough to to be able to get on. There's some chalk, you know, wash your hands after. But yeah, Sheila, you know, you're build, building up, building up future content ready. You're getting there you it out go. for free. All right. All right. So the reason we're talking about this concept is because this had to be the only Eagles pass concept they practiced all week. That's the only conclusion I can come to. And I am not someone who says you need to run 4 million different plays and you got to get to everything on your play sheet. I actually generally will praise coaches when something's working and they stick with it. I think that's fine. Don't overthink it. Nick Sirianni often says like they don't want to be the extremes one way or the other. Whenever he's asked about motion, or he says, well, we don't want to be like all the way at one at one tail or the other tail. The Eagles called this, some version of this pass concept, Hank. I mean, I wrote down 11 times. I don't know if you counted uh, or not, Sean. I wrote down 11 times on 37 dropbacks. I was not doing a precise, you know, every, like I was not trying. So I could be, I could be a little bit off there. 11 times out of 37 dropbacks. Now, that to me is a wild extreme. Now, to be fair, many times, especially early in the game, it was open. They were getting completions on it. Nothing wrong with that. However, to me, it really like symbolized some of the issues we're talking about with this offense. I mean, is is that the best way to unleash your playmakers on this team is to run the same thing over and over and over. And uh, I'm not going to say it 11 times over again. By the way, this is like a concept where, you know, the, the 
wide receiver. Like, this is not a yards after the catch concept, right? I mean, these guys have to turn around and catch the football, and then likely they're going to be tackled, and it's over. It's going to be wherever they, you know, maybe they break a tackle and they pick up a couple extra yards, but you're not getting them on the move. You're not getting them crossing the field. This is a, you know, curl or a sit are going to be the two most common completions in this. And this was their number one answer over and over again in this game. And it's just like, a, it's just an example of there's not enough variation. There's not enough scheming up uh, of your best, most talented players in this offense. And they were just running that over and over and over again. So what did you think about that? Have you, like you watch probably more film than probably anybody I know. Like that isn't it. Like so even some teams that go back to the same concept over and over again, 10 or 11 times on 37 dropbacks, that has to be, I mean, am I wrong to suggest that that's probably the most you've ever seen? That is definitely an extreme, correct? Yeah, I, I certainly think from everything I've watched, that is absolutely <laughs> an extreme. And I agree with you that neither of us, I think, are against, hey, run that, run the same concept that's working kind of over and over. But when I say that, there's kind of an assumption in there that it's a, it's a concept that has multiple answers where you can read it one through five and people are mm. running away from leverage and it has built-in answers for different defenses where the whole entire thing isn't just banking on you winning one-on-one where eventually that cornerback is going to get kind of frustrated. Now that I'm thinking about it, if you run that hitch 10 or 11 times, maybe make your double move a hitch and go instead of an out and up. But, you know, she will, we'll save that for when uh, hopefully we beat the Giants twice over the next three weeks. But, yeah, I just... Uh, and maybe really, a really... screen and go off the screens that they're killing all game long, Sean? How about that? I mean, I mean they're again, their corners are killing you. Where was the screen and go? Thank and you. That right, sorry to interrupt sure. you. Yeah, we see that. that. Just yeah, remember I mean, now, that. Now we're, now we're both getting sweaty. But, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going to say it for like the 12th time because I think it's important to hear that, like, it is not a play <laughs> that has a lot of built-in answers. It lowers the... Mar- like, your margin of error is relatively slim. Your receiver really needs to be able to win that one-on-one. You make a great point. That receiver is coming back to you. It is not a huge yards after the catch play. Obviously, unless if your receiver kind of turns around and gets that win. And then there is a big part of, okay, a team that runs the same concept over and over again, it's important to see how they dress it up. And so I, w- I will say, if we can give one benefit, like they did change how they did it, whether they ran the curls from the inside. But that to me doesn't really, I guess, just excuse the the overall, like how many times are going to run a play that, is not going to be an explosive. You know, if you're, it's not really a, it's not a shot play. It's not a play that I think has, you know, is it safe? I guess you could call it safe, but are the Eagles a safe offense? I I don't think they would want to kind of characterize themselves that way. Yeah. So there you go. Hank, that's the, that's, that's the word of the day, uh, for this podcast. It was really, uh, I mean, I think there was one possession. They ran it three times in, uh, in like a four play possession. Or something they were running it on third down over and over and again sometimes it worked very well and on the f- complete numbers so i understand it worked well sometimes but uh i just uh, did not like that all right i think that's mostly uh my my overall thing on the offense here sean here's where i stand because we've talked about the big stuff we talked about little stuff after watching this film and after looking at the eagles this season and the past few games uh i think jalen hurts is not playing well right now i think We've seen Jalen Hurts play really well for stretches this season. He obviously played really well last year. Everything we know about the guy's work ethic and his like hunger to improve and all that. I think I think Jalen Hurts is going to be fine. Even in this game, I was looking like he ran for 82, 82 yards in this game. You know, like he he's still like that floor is going to be pretty high with him, even when he's not making every throw and making every great decision. But I think as we pointed out, some of the stuff he's getting crushed for. 
he's doing what he's being coached to do. And so I think that those are not fair criticisms. I think other things like bailing the pocket, uh, bailing from the pocket on that third down, uh, his accuracy wasn't great in this game. Some of those things are absolutely on Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think it's panic time on Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts is Carson Wentz 2.0. I don't think they need to regret giving him that contract. I think he's going to be okay. The coaching, I, th- I, 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 after watching this game film was the first time I was like, this offensive scheming and design is like for them to be at this stage of the season and putting out this game plan against that defense. Again, that defense stinks. They're 26th in defense. Go watch what the Cowboys and the Niners uh, and other teams have done to them this season. And they were without probably their best player in Devon Witherspoon. That is not a good defense. That should not be the film you put out uh, against that defense. That's very concerning to me because Nick Sirianni said in his press conference, you know, we're running the same stuff we did uh, last year. If you want to blame someone, it's not Hurts. It's not Brian Johnson. It's me. I agree with all of that. Like, I think that's the problem. There has been no evolution. It's not working as well. Defenses are playing your stuff better, and they're all over the stuff you do, and you haven't shown the propensity to have a plan B, and we're going into week 16. That is a problem for me. And so part of it is it play calling? Yes, Brian Johnson. But the grander issue to me is the offensive scheme and design, and it just feels like there's still a lot of training wheels on this offense, specifically with the passing game, where it's like, I don't know, your quarterback, has played pretty well. Like, why not? You know him better than I do, but why not put a little bit more on his plate and why not try to figure out ways to scheme up AJ Brown, Devonta, like Dallas? These are really, really good. 30 teams in the NFL would kill to have these three guys as their top three pass catching options, and you're scoring 17 points against the Seattle Seahawks. That's not good enough for me. Uh, so I think they're going to look better in the final three games. It's the Giants and the Cardinals. I'm not bullish on them figuring things out and making a deep playoff run. I don't, you know, maybe like the divisional round and they're out and we can talk about what that means um, afterwards. But uh, I do think, you know, with Sirianni, we came to the stretch like, is he a great offensive schemer or not? He hasn't shown that he is yet. He has time. Let's see what it looks like. And then how does he deal with adversity? That hasn't been great. Either he's not. I remember. I, I forgot. I meant to mention this in the post game pod, uh, Sean. I did with Solak, um, where we were talking. I remember I did a story when I was covering the uh, Eagles under Doug Peterson, where I asked like ten assistant coaches, um, without them, you know, being around each other, what's the one trade in Doug Peterson like you like or respect or appreciate the most? And I swear, I think it was every guy. It might not have been every guy. Maybe it was eight out of ten. Whatever they all said. His, his even keel nature. They said when he comes in Monday morning, whether we won by 30 or we lost by 30, we knew it was going to be the same guy and it was going to be the same process. And that puts everyone in the building at ease. That doesn't feel like what's happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that doesn't feel like what's happening at the Novacare complex uh, right now. So it's something to keep an eye on. So that's kind of my uh, big picture, overarching views of where the offense is right now. What do you think? One of my favorite things just about watching any team, you know, over week after week, you get to week 10, week 11, week 12, is you can almost feel on film, well, what is the offensive staff's process to make things in week eight look a little bit like week four, but now we have an extra change up off it. Whether it's using a particular motion in a particular way, whether it's running the same exact concept, but now the running back's on the opposite side. And I just feel like, you know, from the Eagles, that's not really, I think, something we've seen as much on film where I can point to like, 
like the Buccaneers. They have a first-time play caller. It's, it's like a fun kind of, they go through the up and downs. They're obviously not a team that's expected to win the Super Bowl. But I think you can feel their process and how it's kind of working out and how the offensive coordinator is working out different things. So, if, yeah, for me, I think through the year, early in the year, you feel this is a great, like, we're just, like, running these kind of one-on-one things on the outside. It makes sense. But then over time, when you face better defenses, and, I mean, this is a situation where you would hope that you could roll, roll over the defense. But, I mean, you can't really roll over any defense in the NFL, but kind of agreed with you that there, I think you look in the mirror a little bit from a schematic standpoint and say, well, are we making things easier for every player? You, you don't always have to rely on the low percentage kind of high variance plays. You can make things easier by using different things. So I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm always, I guess I'm going to be optimistic by nature. Cause I mean, if I wasn't, then both of us, I think would just be yelling and then, then Cliff would have to like lower the volume on, on the podcast <laughs> overall, but <laughs> the development from the offense, I think we haven't, haven't maybe seen as much of as, as I think you'd see from kind of teams across the league. And the way they play, I mean, they could come out and kill these last three teams. Like they could be putting up 35, 40 against, because it's like we said, I mean, they have better, they're going to have so much, they have such a talent advantage against most of these defenses. That's the thing. That's why the expectations are high. You have the big talent advantage. This isn't a more with less situation. This is a do more with more, or at least do enough with more. You have the edge. And so when you're not doing the edge, you're going to be left with with criticism. I mean, this is not like, D. I I think it's a totally different story, offense and defense. Defense, I think it's a lot of it is personnel based with look at what they're working with here. And also their best players aren't playing great. Offensively, I mean, uh, you know, you're relatively healthy. These guys are in the primes of their career, uh, especially the skill position players. These aren't 33-year-olds where you're saying, oh, maybe they lost a step. No, no, no. They're there. And to put out that product, um, that's not good enough. All right. Let's finish it out with, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is, a- Sean, I, w- I said we're going to do a quick podcast. We're this far and I'm like, oh my God, we haven't even gotten to this thing yet. Oh, that- that's a bad job by me. I apologize. I was more fired up than I thought I was. All right. Here, here are the last things we wanted to talk about. One is uh, Matt Patricia's defense. Just what did, what were the changes we saw? I posed the question to you. Hey, if you didn't know like they made a defensive coordinator change, would you have watched this film and say, hey, this looks different than what we've seen from Sean Desai so far this season? So what did you see? What were the early hints about, hey, this might be a little bit of what Matt Patricia's spin on the defense looks like? I think it was a little bit, uh, you know, different personnel. You get into more of those kind of big dime where you have like a dime linebacker, but it's a safety type body and that big nickel grouping where, you know, I think they wanted to have Sidney Brown closer to the line, kind of in like almost like a linebacker territory a lot of the time. So that was definitely one thing that stuck out. I My guess is that the like box count would be heavier in this game than most other games. I thought that like, so within zone coverage, like if you have an isolated receiver to a side, say you have like two tight ends, and then two two wide receivers. Some coverages will just like lock your cornerback in man on the outside. Say we're in cover four and just leave those cornerbacks out there. It like frees up the safeties a little bit. They can, you know, like play some different things against the run. So that was something that I saw that they didn't do. I don't think that they've done that across other times. It may have just been how the Seahawks were playing. It did feel like they were like a little bit more attacking in the box in terms of pursuit like hey let's get up the field now that led to like a ton of cutbacks i don't know if that's like a uh, <laughs> that led to was, some hey, funny snaps yeah where they're <laughs> way past the ball carrier and the guys going like 11 yards but yes i would agree with that yeah i'm hey, i'm not sure if that's like i don't think they necessarily changed like so much about their technique up front over whatever it was three days but some different fronts so i think we would have noticed a difference but 
I mean, can't really say if it's better or not. I think maybe they make that move a little bit for the longer term, whatever your feelings are. I mean, I think people know my feelings on Sean Desai's game plans during some some points in this season. So overall, like, yeah, you know, it, like it looked different, uh, better or worse. I think you made a good point previously that when you look at the defense, like, shoot, whatever they put out there, I could, I could like, uh, think that it's reasonable. Whether they let up forty nine or they let up like nine points, like it's it's really all kind of within the realistic outcomes. Yeah. Just let Sean Desai go home. I mean, seriously, putting the guy in the booth on national TV, like humiliating him. He's still it's still the defensive coordinator. Let's show him 40 times. What are you doing? Just freaking fire the guy. It's okay to be fired. You still, I am team CTC. The checks are still going to deposit in his account. He'll plan out his next move. He'll get to hang out with his family for a little bit. It'll be okay. I mean, this is such a, just such a weird way to do it. Like, be grownups here. All right. Uh, other things I saw. Uh, Day Niz, a friend of the pod, Day Niz, had the numbers on uh, Big Nickel and B- Big Dime, which I think you're right. Those were the big changes. 23 snaps of Big Nickel, which means you play five defensive backs, but it's three safeties. Uh, and then they played 22 snaps of Big Dime, which means you play six defensive backs, uh, but it's three safeties and three corners. So uh, they played a lot of those things in this game. Percentage-wise, Sean, this was uh, when I was looking up the numbers, this was kind of a little surprising to me. I didn't notice it um, really watching the film or watching it live. Big uptick in quarters coverage overall this week. So it's funny now that Sirianni quote comes out during the week. Uh, oh, were you trying to give up more explosive plays? They they played uh, quarters 28.6% of the time uh, in this game on passing downs. Their season average was around 11%. Um, that's according to True Media and Pro Football Focus. Now, this change had kind of been the previous week against Dallas was their highest percentage of quarters. So this could have just been something they said, let's we've talked about it right last week. Like, all right, let's, you should probably be leaning on that a little bit more, a little bit less on man coverage. So uh, man coverage, they were pretty much at their league average, their blitz rate, Sean, five or more pass rushers, 5.7% of the time, a season low, which was actually funny because, uh, I have become an expert on figuring out what Troy Aikman has been told in production meetings during the broadcast and what's not speculation. And he said during the broadcast, you know, he was like, I would look for them to blitz a little bit more. And it was very obvious. Someone in the organization told him one of the changes is we're going to blitz a little bit more. And they blitzed at a season low rate. So there you go. Yeah, you know, or just overall a day that you you leave in and maybe in, in the dust. And I that interesting thing is the uptick of quarters. Like I was talking about Bradbury's kind of how he plays that man coverage with a specific technique. You know, hopefully you get into more cover four, you let them play a little bit more top down. And if they're gonna conflict linebackers, they're gonna find a way to do that. I do think that you know the usage obviously with slay out, you get to see some Keely Ringo, you get to see some other guys kind of in the back end overall. So, you know, I don't know how much of that is Patricia saying let's Let's try out some other people. Desai, I think, wanted to you know, try out a bunch of people in their rotation too. But I don't know. I don't want to be at the point where we're looking at next year's prospects already. You know, that, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But I did think it was fun to see guys like Keely Ringo out there. Yeah, I thought Keely Ringo was kind of interesting. It was pretty much similar on film as I thought live. Like, not afraid to he's physical. He'll come down against the run at a really nice run stop uh, over near the sideline. He kind of, I mean, you could see like, oh, this is what a young corner looks like when he broke on that ball to DK Metcalf 
in the red zone near the right side. It's like, oh my gosh, I kind of forgot what that looked like. Wait, I was like, no, that had to be a drop, right? He didn't knock that out. It's like, oh my gosh, he got there and he knocked the ball out. Uh, so that was a night. Yeah, I, I I want to see more of Keely Ringo, I will say. Um, you pointed out, and then I watched it. There was one, I think it was a double move. Tyler Lockett kind of got him and he was getting a little, he was kind of grabbing his hip. It could have been a flag there um, where he got beat. So it's not going to be perfect. We know that, but I saw enough from Ringo where I wanted to see more. Or do you feel the same way? I do feel the same way. Yeah, I think like, absolutely. All, all those Georgia guys, I feel like got a little bit extra where even we got to see a little Nolan Smith. And then also in the secondary, like Sidney Brown, just uh, whatever, like it feels like he's almost like a crash test dummy. Like he's just throwing himself so fast <laughs> at other people. Like I fear for his safety. And obviously, you know, some of those tackles that he doesn't end up coming up with, but love that for him. Hopefully he stays healthy. And I do think obviously like Belichick loves that versatile kind of like like safety body at a linebacker type. So maybe that's something that, you know, Patricia looks directly at that and feels that for him. So like you said, you know, I think you've, we've legitimately complained about just like team speed overall a few times this year. So maybe it's Ringo and Brown that are, are able to kind of juice that up a little bit. Yeah, Brown. All right. He has reps where he misses tackles. He looks bad. He, you know, did not have a good rep on that Kenneth Walker touchdown. But my goodness, like nobody plays hard. Nobody on the field played harder than him on that film. He wanted to be out there. He played like his hair was on fire. He's not, I'll tell you this. He's not worried about making mistakes. He is just like, he's on one side and like gets to the other side. He's like, shouldn't even be part of the play. And you like stop it after the guy gets tackled and he's like right there. So um, yeah, fun personality. There was one rep where I see him getting into the, in the face, like this one guy and all I can see is a four. And I'm like, Oh, what offensive lineman for the Seahawks is, you know, 74? And then I look back and I'm like, oh, that was DK Metcalf, uh, you know, 14, who looks like an offensive lineman sometimes when you look at And Sidney Brown is not nearly as big, and he was not backing down. He, he was literally ready to fight DK Metcalf. So, listen, that's fun. I like players like that. So definitely want to see uh, more of him acknowledging that there's going to be some ups and downs. Uh, all right. Sometimes I just have a random take that I need to get off my uh, chest here, Sean. And I've got one here with the defense. If last week is any indication, Hassan Reddick is not going to be happy <laughs> with his role in the Matt Patricia uh, defense. He he was all over the place in this game. First, third down, Hassan Reddick is dropping like 15 yards downfield um, in, in in zone coverage, and they complete a pass uh, behind him. For a first down, I looked it up. He had only dropped on third down two other times this entire season. I can tell you from years, not to sound like the old grizzled veteran reporter, uh, people who get paid for sacks do not really love when the coordinator asks them on third down to drop back 12 yards into coverage. So maybe it was only it was only one third down, but that's something to keep an eye on. Then there's another rep where my guy Hassan Reddick is lined up as a three technique. Sean, I mean, just getting killed by um, like a double team. He doesn't want to be in there as a three. Nah, you can explain to me what would happen for like why that occurred. But I I was like, oh my gosh, Hassan Reddick. The guy just wants to get out on the edge and kill the quarterback and has had a great career doing that. And now you're asking him to do these different things. So I think if you're looking at what player is going to be most like unhappy uh, with this change or if things go south, who's going to complain he would probably be high on my list. Also, I think he's in a 
yeah, he's in a contract here, I believe. Oh, baby, it's like everything aligning. This is gonna, this take is absolutely gonna uh, hit by the time we get to the playoffs. All right. Yeah, what, think, what'd you think? Hassan Reddick. I, well, I think that obviously Philly Media does an incredible <laughs> job. There's so many people we could list off. I do wonder what well, at the end of the season, I think a lot of things maybe they just leak out a little bit. But yeah, like on the first one, I'm like, oh, Reddick is is like really fast from the defensive line all the way to there. And it's like, no, he's obviously like in pass coverage there. And now there's all there's benefits to doing your little, you know, your sims, you drop out people in, in different directions then the other one where he got bumped inside maybe it was that there was like a three tight end set from the seahawks so i think it may have been like an auto bump from the defense but hey you know there's situations that come up and i don't know reddick seems like a a, a good sport and as you said uh, a really good pass rusher and the contract year that uh, that always makes it interesting I, I i'm sure the the like locker room group chats are maybe maybe uh, looking a little different these days I really could have had an alternate life as a sports. I mean, I, I would be on the phone with Matt Patricia going, don't, if you even think about doing that to my guy again, I will leak everything I know about you to every reporter in the country. Listen, is third down, Hassan Reddick is going forward and rushing the passer. You might think there are other good ideas to put your defense in position to succeed. No, no, him hitting the quarterback is going to be the best idea. Just go ahead and do that. If you don't, there will be consequences. See, I could be like, I could be like, you know, Tommy, Tommy Cutlet's agent or something, the, the Indian version. All right. Uh, Personnel notes here, Sean. I thought they rotated their D-line quite a bit during the game. It wasn't really the case. You know, there were 59 snaps overall. Josh Sweat played 50. Reddick played 45. Cox, uh, Fletcher Cox played 43. So those guys still played a lot of snaps. Now, some other guys did rotate in. Patrick Johnson, who I don't think had played all season, was out there as both a Sam linebacker and a stacked linebacker. Moro Ojimo, who we've had some fun with earlier in the pod, he was out there. Nolan Smith got some snaps. Marlon Tui Pelotu got some snaps. So the two guys who saw kind of fewer snaps were Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. Each of those guys played fewer than 50% of the snaps um, in this game. So maybe they're thinking, all right, those are young players. They're not used to this workload. We need them in the playoffs. Let's make it a point to rotate them in the final month, which I honestly think is a fine, <coughs> excuse me, is a fine idea. Obviously you want to win the game, but I think that's fine. Shaq Leonard played 28 snaps. I don't want to, you know, just, he doesn't look like the same guy. I don't think there's anything else we really uh, need to say about it uh, there. Cause I, I feel bad for the guy's injuries that are out of his control. Uh, Sidney Brown played 46 snaps in this game and Ringo and Eli Ricks were on a rotation where Ringo played 30 snaps. Ricks played 29 and Roby was your slot corner. He played 29 snaps. Josh Job came in for two snaps. I don't know if that was injury related or not with James Bradbury. One of them was a penalty, a 20 yard DPI. And then he played the next snap as well. All right. Anything else, Sean, about the defense that you want to get to before I can finally let you go and you can make fun of me for again, promising a shorter pod and not delivering a shorter pod. Well, sure. I'm just thinking about you as the as a sports agent now. That's that's what's stuck in my head. You know, we got we're gonna have to think of a nickname. Maybe we, I don't know, involve like like there's Tommy mm. Cutlets. Is there like Shield Paneer? Is there something that we can kind of do in that way? That's mm. that's really all I have to say Shield about the defense. Paneer, you know? Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm I'm trying. Like my favorites are you know like a samosa, a malai kofta, you know a pakor. I don't know. None of them have the right ring. We'll think of something. It's got to be something I like. You know what I mean? You can't just throw something out there because it sounds good. It's got to be something that I also uh, enjoy. So we will of course work on that. All right. I'm looking at our notes. I think we got everything. Do you want to do? You want to? You want to give us 45 seconds on what you think about the Giants? 
and then we'll say bye. Yeah, I think the Eagles are better than the Giants. Uh, let's not let Tommy DeVito run zone read on us. Like, he just put it on film. We don't have to let it happen. Um, I mean, the Eagles are a pass funnel. Like, you want to pass against them. There better not be, like, a standout receiver here, please. On the other side, you know, be obviously be prepared for heavy blitz and man coverage. I think the Eagles can take care of that. And she, like, the Giants are setting all sorts of, like, statistical records for how, their sack percentages and things like that. So, Hassan Reddick, this is your time. <laughs> she said it's a contract year you had to yes. drop a little bit last game we're we're, we're adding that total this week this is absolutely a stat padding game for your pass rushers i mean he is getting sacked at a wild amount if i you know if i was feeling more motivated i would look it up right now just know it's a lot it was seven times last week the week before against joe barry's packers he did not get sacked which is probably like the worst i mean i don't know how that happens Previous to that, I think he was getting sacked on like 19% of his dropbacks. If you cannot sack Tommy DeVito, you stink as a uh, as a pass rush. So uh, get those numbers up, Hassan Reddick. Listen, here's what you do. Here, here's the move. Call comes in, and it's all right. Uh, you're supposed to drop into coverage. Just rush the quarterback. Hey, listen, you're going to get him, and if you don't get him, just say you didn't get the call. People don't get the call uh, all the time. You don't, you, you don't need to answer. Uh, you only need to answer to these people for three more games and maybe one or two playoff games, and then it's on to the next contract. So, yeah, I didn't get the call. You know, yeah, you point point to the helmet. That's all. You know, I know you're not getting the call directly, but just you know, yell at yell at the linebacker and say I didn't get the call. That's all you got to do uh, if you're Hassan Reddick. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you, I think they were ten and a half point favorites earlier in the week. I mean, I can't even imagine if you lose to Cutlets at home on Christmas Day, uh, what this will be like. So we, you, th- this is one where you actually don't need if you need if you have stuff you want to work on. I think this is a good time to work on it. Actually, you know, try some stuff out, get some reps, uh, get some reps on it. This is one where actually you could just line up and run Hank and zone read on literally every play, and you should still you know and just uh, and just run cover four on every play with a four man rush, and I think you still probably should win by two touchdowns. Maybe they'll do that i don't know we'll see if they do that or not all right before we last thing last thing gotta give a shout out to listener i love this 10 year old buddy is an eagles fan and is a listener and he wanted to give a merry christmas shout out to his dad greg who is also a listener i mean what a thoughtful christmas present from a son to his father so merry christmas to buddy and to greg Awesome job by you. I mean, what a, what a great job by the son. They might make the dad, get Greg, get a little misty-eyed. You know, your son's thinking of you right there. So uh, very nice. Hope you both have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. All right. It's finally going to wrap it up. I see this last note here, Sean. Landon Dickerson, thumb injury, which I didn't mention the whole time. All right, Landon Dickerson has a thumb injury, according to Mike Garofolo. So you might be starting with two two backup guards, depending on whether Jerkins is back or not. Who cares? You should still beat the freaking Giants. If you don't, shame on you. All right, I'm going to wait to give my pick. I'm going to write my picks column at some point after uh, this fever breaks, after I'm able to construct sentences that people can understand at some point in the next 48 hours. Hopefully, I will post my picks column on theringer.com and I will make my pick then. Sean, any any final words? What are you, what are you wearing? Anything you're working on? Anything new? Uh, same great stuff. What are you, what is your final? I know I've asked you your final words like four times already, but this this time I really mean it. <laughs> yeah, just a lot a lot of busy stuff going on at Sumer Sports as we kind of proteins getting closer to filling up their big boards for draft time. So working on a lot of stuff there, but you know, just throw a follow at side schemes. 
Sumer Sports Show podcast. We're on on Tuesdays talking about all sorts of things and working on some fun playoff things that you know I think we'll we'll get, we'll get them out there. People will be able to hear about it and hopefully be able to look at things and say, oh, the Eagles are going to win some games, you know. And just I mean, an amazing job by by Buddy and Greg. I hope you guys have have an amazing Christmas. Just a strong Christmas present for sure. Amazing. This, 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 sometimes, sometimes the kids come through for you, you know? So nice. All right. Thank you to Sean. Thank you to Buddy and Greg. Thank you to Ace Producer, Cliff Augustine. Uh, Solak and I, the fine people at the Ringer, said, we don't want you guys doing podcasts on Christmas, even though the Eagles play. So they're saying, you know what? Just hop on the day after, Tuesday morning, December 26th, and do a podcast then. So that's what we're going to do. If anything crazy happens between now and then, if the Eagles fire but don't fire their offensive coordinator, um, if they announce they're going to run more than one pass concept next week, if any breaking news like that happens, uh, maybe I'll come on <laughs> and do a quick quick little solo pod to update you. And unless, if that doesn't happen, then I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Uh, everybody have a great Christmas who celebrates. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football, and we'll talk to you soon. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.